Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where Macintosh and Mod force each other to watch movies they should have already seen. I'm David, aka Macintosh. And I'm Diana, aka Mod. What are we watching this week? Everybody, this is David. And I'm Diana. And this week we watched 1983's The Right Stuff. The story of the original Mercury 7 astronauts and their macho seat of the pants approach to the space program. That pretty much sums it up. It does. So, based on the book by Tom Wolfe, who mm-hmm. also wrote The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test and Bonfire of the Vanities, mm-hmm. uh, known for being... He sort of dive. He sort of dove into his subjects hmm. and really sort of got immersed in them in a way that might have compromised his integrity from time to time. Okay. So he sort of he and Hunter S. Thompson built this world of telling stories through journalism, with always not necessarily giving all the right facts, but okay. making a better story out of out of what's truth is there. So you love space. I do. I'm kind of a space dork. I, I've i just always been fascinated by, you know, I like the whole rocket thing. I like the whole, you know, space, there's no gravity. Um, I, you know, my father was a Doctor Who fan growing up. Not like a fanatic, but he, it was one of those things that I knew my dad watched Doctor Who. Um, I watched Star Trek Next Generation with him and my brother. Uh, I just, I like space. I went to space camp, actually. And we're in Texas. And most people think, oh, well, you went to Houston. Nope. No, I did not go to space camp in Houston. I went to space camp in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I think there's... is the, So there is the one in Houston? There is one in Houston. Okay. And there is one in Toronto, and that's the partnership with Canada. Yeah. And then I know there's one in Florida. Okay, so that makes sense. There's one in Cape Canaveral and, then I, I, and one in Houston. I believe there are some... Oh, there's one in Huntsville, I know. That's the, okay. bi- the big flagship one, I believe, is in Huntsville, Alabama. I don't know, but I went to Toronto, um, and it was fun. <laughs> um, so then you hadn't seen this movie. I hadn't seen this movie. Uh, when I was, this was, I mean, this was before my time, and the movie that we would always watch that was the space movie, was well, there was Space Camp, of course. <laughs> uh, there was uh, Explorers, with the kids who have the VW bug that they take to space. But movies about real flights into space Apollo 13 exactly which is an amazing film and not and part of that is i love the problem solving aspects of that movie oh yeah and i love that anywhere i love the whole we're gonna macgyver our way out of a problem which is also why when the film the martian came out last year i read the book in like three days yeah which that doesn't sound super fast but you know, I don't have that much time to read, and that means I was reading it every second I could. And then we saw the movie, and I loved it. So, and Apollo 13, Apollo 13 kind of takes off where this leaves off in some ways. Yes. Because this is, this is before we go to the moon. This mm-hmm. is, we got to get into space to begin with. Yes. This is how do we get into, how do we get people into space? And the other, and then Apollo 13 is, what are we going to do while we're in space? It, right. <clears throat> 
and and just after going to the moon with Apollo 11. Apollo 11 was going to the moon and then I can't remember what Apollo 12 was. Apollo tw- Apollo 11 was the first flight to the moon. Apollo 12 went to the moon. Mm-hmm. Apollo 13 they were was supposed, diverted. Yes, they were supposed to go to the moon and yep. work on the moon, but that did not work out. No. Them. No. And then there were I believe three more flights after that, one on Apollo 14. One of our guys, Alan Shepard, made it on the moon. Mm-hmm. Why the line is so perfect. I swear to God, Louise, I'm going I'm to the on moon. My way. <laughs> yeah. So I I like space. Yeah. And I still find it fascinating. Um, I wish we were going to space more. I really love all those videos that have come out this last year at the International Space Station uh, where they're like, okay, submit, you know, tell give us a, a problem you want us to try to solve in space and we'll do it. And they did that one of the water ringing out of the the washcloth that was so cool to see yeah. I, I just love that stuff um so for me it wasn't so much space as planes i was in love with planes for a really long time when i was younger i only learned this about you like maybe a few years ago and i got really into chuck yeager at one point okay who is a prominent sense. part of this movie mm-hmm. and a prominent part of this story um i mean chuck yeager for anybody who doesn't know who he was, he was a World War II fighting ace, killed like 50 Germans in the sky, mm-hmm. like a total badass. He was a star pilot. And then once he got done, moved to Edwards Air Force Base and became a hot shot fighter jock, maybe the best test pilot of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and was the first man to break the sound barrier, mm-hmm. was the first man, I believe, to go Mach 3. Um, Scott Crossfield in this movie goes Mach 2, but I think he's the first one to go Mach 3, mm-hmm. and just has a colorful, colorful life out in the desert flying really fast planes. Yep. And is on Twitter, and is apparently pretty entertaining. Oh, he's on Twitter? So okay. go check it out. Because most of these men, the men depicted in this movie, are still alive. Uh, a lot I, of them are. Yeah, I know John Glenn passed away like two years ago, two, three, recently. I can't remember, I can't remember who is in his, isn't alive. Um, but I believe I believe quite a number of them are still around, mm-hmm. including. Don't hold me on this. He might have died recently, but Chuck Yeager I think might still be alive. Um, so anyway, the first thing I want to touch on is the reality versus fiction aspect because we're telling a true story, and that's something that comes up: is how accurate did they get it? Mm-hmm. Most reports say pretty damn good. Now, granted, they're working from source material from Tom Wolfe, who is known for fudging the facts to get mm-hmm. a better story. So it's only as reliable as what Tom Wolfe's book was. Okay. However, when I'm looking at um, somebody has a really somebody got all of the different IMDb things about the historical aspects. Okay. Really, the biggest things that it took license with were first of all Chuck Yeager. Okay. So. They didn't ask him to fly the X-1 the next day. When they when he was going to go break the sound barrier, he'd already been flying it for a while. He'd already been in eight test flights on that plane. And he, um, there were no crashes involving deaths involving the Bell X-1. Now, there were guys dying every day in fighter jets. Mm-hmm. Don't get anybody wrong. But nobody died. The story they don't tell is the guys who strapped into the rocket and did the almost suborbital flights yes. in test planes 
that were basically rock. They were strapped into rockets going Mach six. Yeah. That was one. That that one. I love those stories because those those planes didn't have landing gear. They had skids because they were in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> and they were going so fast that the landing gear would just break. And those guys died a lot. Yes. The guy who finally did it was very lucky to be alive when he got through it. Um, so, and you know, the, the test flight that he takes at the end of the movie, that was completely planned. He had full clearance. They had yeah, already, they he had already been flying it for a dramatic. Yeah. They, they made it a little dramatic, more dramatic. Um, the other, the other big one that it looks like they talked about, and this is, there's, there's differences about it is the Gus Grissom story. So, in the movie, one of the big one of the big set pieces is Gus Grissom packs a bunch of stuff in his astronaut suit mm-hmm. to bring back his souvenirs. Yeah. And while he's in the water, the hatch explodes. Mm-hmm. To this day, it's still not clear what happened. Tom Wolfe wrote in his book and was pretty much brutal on Grissom, saying it was his fault. Okay. There was yeah. loose stuff in his pockets. He blew that hatch, panicked, and the thing sank. Grissom to his death never admitted that Mm -hmm. nobody ever believed it and it's still been up in the air nobody's ever going to know because gus grissom would die three or four years later in the apollo one testing phase yeah he died he and a bunch of them died in an explosion there were three it was chaffee chaffee white and gus grissom were in a test in a test run on apollo 11 they were in the capsule and this is why the explosive bolts line from him is so like foreshadowing yes because when they were in apollo one the test bolt that capsule did not have test bolts Mm -hmm. a fire started in the cabin yeah and it's in an oxygenated environment so it became out of control immediately they all died in a fire there was no explosion they were on the ground and it was a fire um so they just burned that's like the worst possible way to die and that set back the apollo program two or three years that's why yes. we didn't that's why we didn't it, it set them back two years because they had to completely re-examine safety standards because they were afraid of how are we going to get these guys safely home oh yeah apollo 11 was a shock to everybody's system because we hadn't really lost we hadn't lost a man in space yet well that's also the whole like now one of the things that they address in the movie the martian is that he needs to start a fire and he's just like if you look back at all the things they've engineered everything so that nothing can create a fire pretty much literally nothing can start a fire and that all came out of that incident oh no i totally get that that's what happened um so those are really the two the two things it it really just looks like if everything else is like little details Mm -hmm. here and there that ultimately don't compromise the story they're just like this wouldn't make any dramatic sense if we just showed it for real that's fair um so you you can look those up but the big two are chuck yeager's career was very much different i mean he was a by the book test pilot just kind of a crazy dude (laughs) all right so leaving that off let's talk about writer and director philip kaufman okay i don't know anything else that he's done well, uh, if we're really looking at it, the number one thing he's done is he created the story of Indiana Jones. Oh. The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, that, good, good job on you. <laughs> like, I'm not a huge Indiana Jones fan. Like, I grew up with it, of course, but I don't really care. Yeah, it's 
pretty. It comes down to... You did a good job. The story's better than anything George Lucas could have ever really done. Mm -hmm. And he came up with those characters, that thing. He also did the 70s remake of Evasion of the Body Snatchers, um, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, the controversial Henry and June... I don't know um, about that one. But maybe what you would know him for mm-hmm. is Quills. Did he write that? He wrote and di- he directed it. Okay. And Doug Wright, the playwright, wrote the screenplay and the play it was based on. Damn, that that movie is fucked up, but amazingly, like, is awesome. It's a fantastic movie. Um, yeah, he's he's been very sparse in what he's actually done and written. He he sort of takes long time between doing his stuff okay but you know he's also living off that indiana jones money and the other real claim ain't no shame in that game the other real claim to fame is he wrote his first big writing gig was the outlaw josie wales the clint eastwood western which many people might be in I've, i've never seen it but a lot of people would know so that's his big thing honestly this is his his big opus this is probably the biggest thing he did and the most well-known thing he's done. Okay. How do you feel about the writing and directing of this movie? Um, I think the direction is really good. And there are parts of the writing... This is a movie that is way too long. I agree. And focuses on stuff that never pays off. Yeah. The best part of the movie is when they all show up for their physicals, all the medical testing. Yes. Because it's hilarious. And all of their... Uh, you know, their competition. That's hilarious. And I know that stuff really happened. Um, that's great. And then, you know, the press conferences. And then I like all the tension of the wives when they're waiting, when they know that they're going to go up and they're all together. I like all that because I know that happened too. Uh, I, I like all that stuff. Everything else, it takes us 45 minutes to get to anything interesting about who are these guys? What's going on? Oh, they're going to go to space. It it drags so much. I think the issue is that when we have the main set pieces of the movie, mm-hmm. they're awesome. Like, the X1 test scene is so cool to watch. When, when, Jaeger, when Jaeger breaks the sound barrier, it's really cool. When... Um, when they're when they launch the rockets, you know all of the different launches. Jaeger's flight in the Starfighter is really yeah. freaking cool. The flat spin and all of that stuff is insane to watch. Um, him in the X two when he's trying to break Mach two when he's trying to go faster than Crossfield and then he busts his head open on the canopy. Mm-hmm. All of the actual action sequences are awesome. It's all of the story in between that they just let go on too long. Yes. And they're making they're making very atmospheric choices and stuff like that. And I get it. Mm-hmm. It's just they could have tightened it up a lot. This oh. could have been about a two and a half hour movie. And you still could have had some of those emotional moments to reckon with. Yeah, they really should have zeroed in on only one or two of the wives. And they tried to do all of them. And that's not what this movie was about. And there's too many guys that they're focusing on. So you needed to make a cut. You either needed to only focus on the th- the main three guys. Who are, so in your opinion? My opinion would be Alan Shepard, uh-huh. uh, Gus Grissom, and John Glenn, because they're the first ones up. Okay. Like, I understand why Jaeger's a part of that group. I get that. 
I, I do understand that. Well. But they needed to cut bait with him quicker. They spent way too much time on him and he does not, he is not what this movie is about. Well, here's the, here's the problem though. He is what the book is about. Okay. The book is almost, uh, the book is half about the Mercury 7 house mm-hmm. counts and half about Chuck Yeager. Okay. Then this is a horrible adaptation of the book. Okay. Yeah. Like it, it's, this is poor storytelling. Because Chuck Yeager is a one of the significant parts of this movie or the story rather okay that's fine but it drags and takes away from everything else that's fair so either do a movie just about him or do a movie about just the 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 mercury seven which i know he is a one a member but at the same time it's just like you don't matter well chuck Yeager's not a member of the mercury seven but i don't know if he was part of that group he was he was he was the original test pilot and that's fine and those other guys were inspired from guys like him but okay give him the first 45 minutes of the movie and then i don't need to see him ever again probably yeah so i yeah no well for me i think it's just trim the fat off of all of the scenes you could keep almost every scene in this movie if you just trimmed back the fat from it i don't know i think you could make it work (laughs) yeah you're probably right but um And I'm I'm defending it because I really like Chuck Yeager's story, so that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it is overly long. Let's go through this ridiculously star-studded yet also these some of these guys weren't really stars yet cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with the top build being Sam Shepard as Chuck Yeager. He's boring as shit. <sighs> I don't know if that's his acting. I don't know if that's the writing, but I do not need... I don't care about him at all. He is a little mumbly. Oh, he's very mumbly. Way way more mumbly than the rest of these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't know. He was... He was... It was like he was just being himself. Yeah. I didn't see anything special or interesting from him. And, yeah. And that's how I feel about his plays, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate his plays. I actually really like his stuff. I know you to do. a certain degree. Uh, I'm I'm mixed on him. I respect what he's going for, and sometimes I really get it, and sometimes I don't. So I'll put I'll leave it at that. Um, Scott Glenn is Alan Shepard. Great, he's really good. Freaking hilarious. He's very funny. I I I enjoyed watching him. Maybe a little too much casual racism. With the uh, Jose Jimenez stuff? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that statement. <laughs> uh, and a lot of these guys, it feels like these guys are improving a lot. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but they feel very natural in their characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, Sam Shepard is mumbly, but he also kind of feels natural as mumbly Chuck Yeager. Well, he just should have had a little more personality to him. There, there's... Uh, He's the worst written character. I don't care about him. Like, he's bad. And I know you like him, but no. All right. Uh, Ed Harris as John Glenn. Very good. Uh, I I like Ed Harris. Every time I see him in a movie, I enjoy it. He was in Apollo 13. He was. Um, And I think I think he does well with that character. So It's really weird to see him as clean Marine, though. Yes. We're kind of used to him being... The very, I mean, Apollo 13, he's very no-nonsense gruff guy. Mm-hmm. And then from 
from then on, he's kind of been like kind of a gruff or villain type. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, he's the super chipper positive one. <laughs> yeah, he's he's yeah, he's pretty happy go lucky. But he's got that he's got that edge to him. I mean, he's a he's a navy dude, or no, he's a marine. He's a clean. They, they the call clean him the clean marine. marine. Yeah. Um, like when he's on the phone with with his wife Annie mm-hmm. and telling him. And tell him, like, if Pre- if you don't want President Johnson in there, but by God, I'm behind you 100%. Yeah. And there's like, yeah, there's a little bit of a weird edge to you, dude. Yeah. You can't, you can't be that squeaky clean and not be a little on, on type A. <laughs> Dennis Quaid as Gordo Cooper. Uh, he's adorable. <laughs> and, you know, he, I like, you know, his nickname in the movie is Hot Dog. And he plays that character very well. You know, he's just, he's just happy to be here. He might be, he, him and Ed Harris are competing for who looks the most like their actual character. Yes. Like, they are right up to each other. Like, oh, you look almost exactly like him. Also, this is his first big leading Does type by... role. Yeah, no, no. I figured that. Everything else was in smaller type movies. Well, no, he was in Breaking Away, apparently. Hmm. Um, but this was the first big deal thing he was in. Okay. Uh, Fred Ward is Gus Grissom. We can quick hit a lot of the rest of these because those he are the was, big yeah, names. Yeah, he was good. I don't, I, I have, I swear I've seen him in other stuff and I don't really remember it though. He's, he's always, he's everywhere. Yeah. Barbara Hershey as Glennis Yeager. She's horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a bad part of the movie. They're horrible. The legendary Kim Stanley as Poncho in Poncho's Bar. Again, they it doesn't get enough play. I know. Like, at all. Um, And then for the wives, Veronica Cartwright as Betty Grissom. Uh, I, she was okay. The, but she was super whiny. Yeah, talk, I want to talk to Jackie. Jackie. They... That should have been a scene where she was mad at him, not upset about not getting to do it. Yeah. Or we should have seen her. We shouldn't have seen her be whiny. We should have seen her being pissed off at the that she the they air got, force they got shafted and 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 the air force has always shafted him. Yes. Like that's what we should have seen there. Yeah, that would have made more sense. Uh, Pamela Reed as Trudy Cooper. She was good. Who is the voice of Tom Wolfe in this movie? Apparently, they used her to talk like. The one quarter of test pilots don't come out. Mm-hmm. Those are th- those are statistics and things that Tom Wolfe brings up in the book. Okay. And so rather than have him sort of be an observer reporter, they just used her to voice those those numbers and those ideas. Okay, well, that's a good way to do that. I don't have a problem with that. And she sort of fits that role pretty well. Yeah, she did a good job. Um, Any of the other astronauts stand out to you? No. No? Mm-mm. We do get Lance Henriksen from oh. Terminator and Aliens and a bunch of movies as Wally Shira. That did not even register with me. <laughs> uh, we do get Zoe and Emily Deschanel's mom, Mary Jo Deschanel, as Annie Glenn. She did pretty good. I mean, she's playing a woman with a very severe stutter. She's had a very interesting, weird career. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. She just sort of, I think she just sort of does these movies because Caleb Deschanel, <laughs> their dad, is the cinematographer mm-hmm. and a very famous cinematographer. 
Uh, we can talk about that a little bit. And some other people, everybody else is sort of character actor. I guess the only two that we really still have to talk about are our adorable set pieces, Jeff Goldblum and Harry Shearer. Um, I was, I had no clue because I didn't do any research before we watched this movie. And I was very surprised to see them because Harry Shearer has not aged at all. No. <laughs> I mean, he's had that voice his whole life. We love him. Um, and then Jeff Goldblum, are you 12? <laughs> He, I mean, he's just this lanky dude, and it's just so funny because the uh, the the new Jurassic Park trailer showed up, and he's in it, and it's just like, wow, wow, you are still the same guy. You still have that exact same voice too, but you look like a child. Just run, 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 run. It's called Sputnik. Yeah. It's even funnier when you realize it's Jeff Goldblum giving that line. Yeah, we realize, like, wait, that's Harry Shearer. Oh my god, that's Jeff Goldblum! giant Jeff Goldblum, too. I mean, I I know he is a giant, but it's really funny to actually see him. Compared next to Harry Shearer, who's a rather short gentleman, it's just funny. So, this was an Oscar winner. Oh, okay, for what? Best sound. That makes sense. Best film editing. Best sound effects editing. Okay. And best score. I don't know about that. How do you feel about the score? I don't remember any of it. Okay. Well, <laughs> that that lets me know how you so, feel about it. So that that changes some things. And it was a nominee for best picture. Who would it, who did it lose to? Um, plenty of people. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, that year the winner was Terms of Endearment. <laughs> what else was nominated uh the big chill okay the dresser mm. and the movie made from sam shepherd's play tender mercies okay well yeah i i, I i'm fine with it losing <laughs> I, I i've only seen parts of terms of endearment but i i get it Tender Mercies was a big deal. Um, no acting nominations for this. And it's... I, I don't know how you could. You did deserve me. There's also a giant ensemble cast. Nobody gets any play... Nobody gets re- enough real play to make it worth that. Yeah. So... But the effects are fantastic. What do you think about the cinematography? What cinematography? Oh. Oh. Okay, this movie doesn't hold up. It's not good. It... It's not good. Okay. There are good parts, but yeah. it is not good. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that, that leads us... How do you feel about this against other space movies? Shit. Whoa! Compared to Apollo 13, for sure. Or The Martian. I like... It's horrible. I mean, Martians all make believe. Um, Apollo 13 is, I think, the standard for space movies. I don't know about that. Well, no, no. Apollo 13 is the standard for space movies. Yes. 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 I don't know if it's... Shit. What, this? Yeah. It ain't good. <laughs> it's not good. I don't have a good run going here. Mm. <laughs> no, not really. Okay. Well, that just leads us to your star rating. It's your movie. You have to go first. Okay, so we have an issue here. Mm-hmm. And that this is... I would agree... Not a great movie. Okay. Maybe not a good movie. Okay. It's also one of my favorite movies. That's fine. <sighs> you can like, you can love a movie that you know is crappy. Yeah, I know. And you can love it 
because it's crappy, in spite of it being crappy, that is fine. That's that's again, why again there's the nostalgia yeah. love for a film. And oh that's, yeah, and this is just this is a movie you should have seen. Come on, give me a three and a half. Okay, I'm a two. Well, the three and a half. If you really like space and you really like, or you really like planes and you really like watching how that stuff happens, mm-hmm. first of all, the movie gets almost everything historically right. Yeah. Uh, to the extent of they're they're taking liberties with small instances of things. The general notion is this is what historically happened. Yes. Um, and on top of that, it's fun. There's lots of funny, fun moments in it. Yeah. It's also not overly uh violent or bad you could watch this with your family yeah it's a pretty family friendly movie that you can that you can sit down and watch though except for all the casual racism yeah that's that's not great on the other hand that probably happened so oh i I don't i don't disbelieve that at all and it's interesting because some people have said like hidden figures is the perfect companion piece to this movie Yes. Because they okay. were all doing the calculations on how to get all these guys up into space. They were doing space. all the work. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you can watch that one back to back with this and kind of be like, oh, I get the real story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think the Mercury 7 story is really cool as done in this movie. And, I, you know, the Chuck Yeager stuff, take it or leave it. If you really like the sound barrier and test pilots and things like that, then, yeah, you got to see that whole part, too. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you might just need to watch the middle of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And just move from there. We'll skip 45 minutes, get two and a half hours in. You're at a two, though. I'm at a two. I like the space stuff. And I like I like the training stuff. But that's about that's it. That's all I want to take away from this movie. So it's a two. Not the jokes. I need to urinate. <laughs> Uh, we're we're going to stop at the next gas station. <laughs> Permission to relieve bladder. <laughs> the sensors are going off. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's funny. It's, it's those like, moments. The whole thing is we didn't consider that. It's only a 15-minute flight. Like, yeah, but he's been in there for hours. Do you enjoy our former Nazi doctors as yeah. well? Yeah. Werner <laughs> von Braun. Yeah, that's the funny. That's the stuff I like. Yeah, I get it. Just... No. If it had just been that, this movie probably would have been way better. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Yeah. Next time we're gonna do Coming to America. Nope, haven't seen it. I can't. I just that was not. It's a classic Eddie Murphy movie. I know. Yeah, it goes hand in hand with Trading Spaces. Places. Trading. Trading places. Trading spaces. Trading. <laughs> Learning <laughs> Channel show. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's one of those. Ah, we watched that movie a lot, <laughs> a lot. Kid. I, I don't even remember all of it. I just remember my brother walking around imitating him. <laughs> I look forward. I look forward to you repeating lines as we watch the film. Probably will. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. All right. It was a it was a movie heavy weekend for us. We uh, we saw two in the theater. So we started uh, Saturday with The Disaster Artist. When Greg Sestero, an aspiring film actor, meets the weird and mysterious Tommy Wiseau in an acting class, they form a unique friendship and travel to Hollywood to make their dreams come true. So this is a behind-the-scenes making of 
the cult classic The Room. Which neither of us have seen. Yeah. Which is fine. We're not bad movie people. No. Although, from what I've heard, this is more than a bad movie. Yeah, it's it's just not something that we would have been drawn to go see. I remember hearing about it. Yes. Once it once it got through its screenings and the rumblings of people going to once do it. Once it became it. a cult classic. If you don't know what The Room is, it's considered the worst film ever made. And it was made by this rather strange guy named Tommy Wiseau. He self-financed it. They don't know where this money came from. We don't know where he's from. He has an unusual accent. We believe he's from Eastern Europe. And he lies about his age. Like, he wants you to believe he's like 40 nowadays. But he's probably closer to 60. Nobody knows anything about the man. Mm -mm. And he doesn't want anybody to know. And it's he's got this very specific persona. So... Uh, James Franco and his crew of people <laughs> decided they wanted to make a movie about that, about that movie. And one of the, the key things to remember is The Room is not a good movie, but there's something about it that people love. So it is, it, it's, the movie itself is not total shit. There is something redeeming about it that what is what makes it a cult classic. Which comes through in Franco's performance. In a huge way. This is the best performance I have ever seen from James James Franco or Dave Franco. Yeah. Um, Dave Franco has only really played frat guys. Yeah. On film. And this film shows that he's got the dramatic chops. And James Franco, who has shown us a lot of dramatic acting, this is the most engaging performance i've ever seen from him a lot of a lot of the movies where he really is embodying a character mm -hmm. he's all you almost distance from him i mean spring breakers has been the one a lot of people cite but that's a very sort of off-putting character mm -hmm. in a lot of yeah. ways this character draws you in he sucks you into his world completely you, you want to know more about him mm -hmm. uh yeah so i i enjoyed this movie a lot there were parts of it that were very funny there were parts of it that were sad and endearing um this is 100 percent oscar bait um hollywood loves movies about hollywood mm -hmm. and the thing about this one is the movie is not about making a shitty movie it's about the desire to make a movie to make that, yeah to that dream that's what this is about ultimately and that is there's nothing more oscar baity than that and I will be shocked if it is not nominated in all of those categories. Best Picture, Best per Writing, James Franco is going to get an, a, a performance nomination. It's going to get a direction nomination and probably a makeup because there's some pretty awesome prosthetics going on on James Franco. Um, now, the writers um, are the guys who wrote 500 Days of Summer and The Spectacular Now. Which we, uh, 500 Days of Summer is one of the best films we've ever seen in the theater. And The Fault in Our Stars, which is widely considered to be a really well-written teen movie. The yeah. Spectacular Now is definitely. So those guys have had a good run so far. And it really embodies, for me, I didn't, there were a lot of comedic moments that landed really tragically for me. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't get a lot of laughs out of this movie. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was a bad thing. You can't, this movie is going to catch people in different ways yes. because in some, to some extent, you know, having done theater in my career and 
done certain things that were just completely insane weird stuff trying things yes it felt like that it reminded me so much of that in that moment of like i don't care i'm just gonna try something Mm -hmm. and go for it and there's a there's a level of respect and admiration for a guy like tommy wiseau who does not give a fuck and is just going to do whatever art is there Mm -hmm. that's why so many like movie people love the Mm -hmm. love the room yeah Yes, it's hilariously bad. Yes. But what makes them keep coming back to it over and over again is this dude cared so much about making this movie mm-hmm. that he just kept going. Yep. Knowing that it was a fucking disaster. Yeah. And just kept doing it. Yeah, it's it's that, you know what, I don't care how many people tell me no, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, I don't care if nobody, I mean, he, he did care. He wanted people to like it. Oh, of course. But it's just that... I'm just going to do it. And we've, you know, we've been on the the artsy side. Hell, doing this podcast is, I don't know if five people are going to watch it or 5,000 people are going to listen to it. I I don't know. Um, But we're just going to do it. And in the meantime, everyone around him thinks they're just like, oh, we're part of this horrible thing. And now almost everybody in that crew who made that movie embraces it Mm -hmm. fully, especially Greg. (laughs) Well, he wrote the book that this movie is based on. Yep. Um, he had recordings of Tommy that he gave to James Franco, the secret tapes. <laughs> um, so yeah, and 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 Tommy can still considers Greg his best friend. Yeah. So, I I would go see this if you're at all interested in what is getting picked up for Oscars. I I will be shocked and appalled if this isn't 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 on the list i also feel like this is a pretty good explanation of how movies actually get made yes it's on a small scale but i mean this is how movies really do get made this is how things work and it's very and they go through some mundane stuff also in very funny cameo world if you are at all a fan of the podcast how did this get made the three hosts of that show uh paul shearer Paul Shear. Paul Shear. June Shear, Diane Raphael. June Diane Raphael, who are married. And Jason Manzoukas are all in this film. They're all in it. And they have done several episodes about the room. Can we give you the um, <laughs> the two really funny cameos? The ones I didn't recognize at all? No, don't do it. Okay. Because it's enjoyable to see it show up on, on the screen. There's all sorts of great cameos from people who, who, who pop up here. Who, if they, everybody who hangs out with James Franco and Seth Rogen show up in this film. Yep. With one exception, there's no Michael Sarah. Yeah. That's okay. He's busy doing Arrested Development right now. Pretty much. So it is it is great. It makes me want to go watch The Room, which is weird. <laughs> I I don't need that, but I do want to see this film again. I yeah. want to watch it again. This is probably when we're going to end up owning. I would love to go watch The Room just one time, so I kind of go, got a baseline on this. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or go to a screening just to see the hilariousness mm-hmm. that ensues. Um, it's good stuff. It's really good. There's nothing more to say than that. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so we saw the disaster artist, and then do a complete tonal shift. We traveled away from our beloved Alamo Drafthouse to the first film this year that we have seen. Not the Alamo. We love you, Alamo Drafthouse. You didn't have a time. You you didn't have the film because you didn't have the Shape of Water. So we were forced to go to. On AMC. Do you have to reveal your poor experience with AMC and their pre-show entertainment? 
the pre-show entertainment is shit. Like that, it's just a giant advertisement. It always for thirty has minutes, been. which is fine. That's not new. Where I was appalled. So the movie's supposed to start at three forty, and at four ten, we are still in previews. We had twenty minutes of previews. That's absurd. Oh, you know what? I thought this was a two and a half hour movie. It's a two hour movie. I know. That's why it was two and a half hours. Because we, we had there. twenty minutes of previews. Which is, I love previews. Don't get me wrong. I I love watching them when they first come out online. I love seeing them in the theater. Once you hit the sixth one, yeah, it's time many. to it's time to watch it's the movie. Too many. Okay. Regardless, it doesn't matter because I saw what I think we may be proven wrong, but I think this might be the best movie of the year. This is our best actress Oscar. Best performance by an actress in a lead role. Hands down. Um, let me give, let me give the synopsis. Okay. The Shape of Water, of course we're talking about. In a 1960s research facility, a mute janitor forms a relationship with an aquatic creature. Yeah. This is, this, also, I'm going to say this one's best original screenplay. Mm-hmm. Hands down. The story is amazing. Uh, and the score. I want the score to win. It... I'm going to be buying the soundtrack. I'm telling you that right now. It's beautiful. It's got a lot of that French music that I like. Alexander Despot. Yep. Fantastic. Uh, I, this movie was so light and filled with joy. Which is really weird because it's kind of a dark and creepy story. It is a dark and creepy story. And it's also got a lot of adult things. Like there's a lot of nudity. Yes. And there's a lot of things about sex in this film. Yes. But it is light. And it's hopeful. And Sally Hawkins doesn't speak. She's the mute. Yep. And that woman acts more than I have seen from any actress in anything I've watched this entire year. It is one of the most beautiful performances I have seen, I think, in forever. I think the only other thing that I could compare it to this year was Nicole Kidman in uh, Little Big Lies on HBO. Wow. Which she, for which she won. Uh, did she win the Golden Globe? No, that wasn't a Golden. It was an Emmy. She won an Emmy for that, which was well deserved. Um, uh, this this was perfect, and I hope and pray that Doug Jones gets a nomination for his work as the amphibious man. Amphibian man. Yeah, no, Doug Jones deserves deserves the nod. It. I don't. I don't need to see him win. Obviously, no, there's I, all sorts of other actors that I are going to come out. Correct. And... I want the. I want the recognition for the physical work that he had to do, and he he successfully did as his yes. character, who has no words. None. Again, again, the two main characters of this movie don't talk. They don't talk, and it's um, oh, crap! Now I can't even remember. Olivia Spencer. Octavia Spencer. Octavia Spencer. <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> If I can't remember her first name, it's her last name. I can't. She's our she's our translator for she's our translator for Eliza. She is wonderful uh, and sassy in, in a wonderful way. Uh, Michael Shannon plays a villain, like only Michael Shannon can. And then we have Peter Jenkins. Let me put it this way: Michael Shannon is the weakest part of this movie as an actor, and, and he's, he's amazing. amazing. He's amazing. So that's giving you something. And yeah, and then we have Peter Jenkins. Rich, Richard Jenkins Richard, is. Damn it! I cannot remember anybody's name today. Richard Jenkins is fantastic. He deserves a supporting actor nomination for yes. this film because he's so good. Mm-hmm. Um. We get Michael Stuhlbarg, who's been in everything recently, mm-hmm. um, as Robert okay. Hofstetler. Um, 
everybody in this movie is so light and fluffy and airy mm-hmm. and wonderful. It's a fairy tale of the best kind. And it's dark, but it's, it's, I like, I remember you saying, you're like, I almost fell asleep and not in that bad way, but it, yeah. was, it was really in that. I was tired this, and this is such a beautiful movie that I'm like, <sighs> it's relaxing and it's, ugh. I, I, like that. I, I have one qualm in the movie that I would, I would remove and it doesn't even ruin the movie for me. Like I could, I, I, if I had to write this, it would be a 4.5. Like it's a four five for me. For me, it's a five. It, 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 it's not a five for me. I know. It's, it's so close to being a five. I give it a five because the I I do I do agree with your issue mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, but I think We're not the movie talk about that part here because I don't want to spoil it. No, but the movie overcomes all of that in oh, so many does, ways. It, it barely bothers me. And I've there. I've got to say, of all the movies I've seen thus far, we still haven't gotten everything. This is best picture of the year so far. Yes, absolutely. Um, deserves every bit of recognition it's going to get. Hopefully it gets the most nominations once stuff comes out. Um, I, I, I ho- it needs to get nominated for picture, writing, actress. Directing. Directing, song, and score. The Hopefully actor, but we, we caveat I, that. I, I, I understand. It happens. If, if only Sally Hawkins gets a performance o- nomination for this, I'm okay. I would love to see Doug Jones and Richard Jenkins get nominated. And then every design award known to man nominated because remember yeah. we have blade runner this year and that might steal some things blade that runner might steal is gonna be there stuff dunkirk might get some stuff in that too especially for sound um that sound was pretty good Dun- dunkirk was a feast for the eyes and whereas i don't necessarily think it's a great movie the technical achievement of it is quite outstanding so i will i will give it that it yeah. deserves some recognition it, for it that. was a good movie um, um yeah uh you go please go see this it is beautiful it it's so worth the time Mm -hmm. even even with the weirdness because it's a Guillermo movie it's amazing and actually tomorrow uh, the day this gets released we'll have Golden Globe nominations which we just found out about yeah we we were like oh my um I've you know we get Oscar nominations on January 23rd (laughs) but the Golden Globes is the first chance we're going to get. It's the best indicator of who the Oscar nominations are going to be and who is likely to win. Who are the front runners? Sort of. It's it's Typically. a little Recently it's gotten weird because the foreign press box office is a component to these mm-hmm. awards, which is weird to think about, but it is. And the Hollywood foreign press, Europe likes some weird shit. Yes. They like some weird ass movies, which is why like some comedies that were like, this is a terrible movie get nominated. Like that weird ass Johnny Depp movie that came out three years ago. They got nominated for best picture. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, anyway. they, they occasionally throw some stuff in there that you're like, huh? What the fuck? Yeah. How did that get nominated? So those are going to come out the day that this goes up. Yep. And on our next episode next week we will do a section where we talk about what we think about the nominations Let's talk about those and then when the oscar nominations come out we'll do a whole bonus episode about our reaction to the oscar nominations um that'll be during our time where we're watching oscar winning movies and then we'll actually do a whole episode about the actual oscar awards themselves oh yeah yeah all right until next time guys bye That's it for
for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.